0: Morning everyone. Thank you, Brother Josh, for the very practical message. Remember, now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say I have no pleasure in them. We can either do two things with our youth, we can give them to the Lord, we can invest in godliness, in study in seriousness before God, or we can throw our, half our lives away when we look up and we're 40 years old and we haven't. We're trying to unlearn what we've done the last 20 years and the ramifications of some of the things we did, the mistakes. There's only one youth, and that is, you know, that age, I think it starts at eleven, twelve, and by the time you are twenty to twenty-five, you've already established who you are going to be. And that is a very short window. This is your main energy. This is your it is your life. Use it wisely. And I want to commend you, young people, those that are coming, even those that are not getting baptized, but you are working towards that. And hopefully, by the next group, you are praying about it and you are you are preparing. Amen. We're going to be there to help encourage you to bring you to this step. Um, so we've heard a lot. I, uh, I mentioned yesterday uh, to someone that I don't know if there's a group that we've invested so much in baptism teaching. It's just been heavy. Praise God. Just been a lot of teachings. I guess we were preparing for uh, early summer baptism, and now it's early fall, and that's what it's going to be. It's going to be fall baptism, and um, yeah, we've heard a lot, and I think uh, those that are older that have been bapt- baptized already, they're getting a lot out of these teachings. They're confirming and reconfirming things in your heart. Some things are are making more sense in your life and you've been encouraged and exhorted to to just to uh, reflect on your heart to see if you are indeed reckoning yourself dead in in that baptism stand you made so long ago so um today i want to continue uh this teaching i left off with i left off with um romans chapter 6 and today I want to go on to chapter 7 and 8. And very, very important um, in the baptism teachings, um, chapter 7 and 8. So we'll open up our Bibles to chapter 7 of Romans. <clears throat> Before we do, let's take just a moment again to bow our heads and to pray. Father, we pray that you would make these words real to us. We invite you into our presence. Father, we pray that you would speak to us, especially those that are getting baptized unto his death. Father, that are saying to this brotherhood that I have reckoned myself dead to my flesh, and that I am now therefore living a a resurrected life in Christ by faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that you continue to work in these young people. Father, make alive these words which we're about to read. Father, they can claim these promises. And Father, that your spirit may reign in their beings. Being born again, of thy spirit. Father, we pray this, that you do this work, open up our hearts, and we thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. The title is The Order of Resurrection. The Order of Resurrection. Uh, Richard spoke last week about the importance of being born again, how to become born again. He asked the question, how do we know if we're born again? Uh, John chapter 3, you must be born again. We have a need of a savior. Uh, Richard, can you? Uh, Richard will, will put a, a drawing that I made up on a board and we will reference to it. I made it just to clear some things up in my mind as throughout this week. I, I thought of a lot of things and I thought of Romans 7. And I thought of what it's speaking to us about. And Romans is tricky. I'm sure John can attest to that when he did a teaching here a few uh, a year ago on it. It, it doesn't follow a chronological order. It does a little bit. I mean, you, you build up towards chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8. But then, in Chapter Ten, it talks about some of the things before it's uh, it 's definitely written to a Jewish people that can fully understand and, and appreciate uh, what it 's saying and I think we need to study into it to study into the law to study about that i don't i don't mean to to memorize all the law like the Jews do uh, it 's not very clear, but i don 't think we're going to get it clear because the Resolution is pretty low on it. So we we have the uh there we go. Now it's all on on here. We have the, the journey of sin and redemption here. Um this this person is carrying a great load on his back, at a pilgrim's progress. We can all relate to that. He is seeking to find redemption for that heavy weight. On his back. His sins are are just overbearing. He needs to find a savior. This is the beginning of this cross. All those we cannot be born again until we have need to be born again. Um, I asked the baptismal candidates, um, some of them, why do you who qualifies for death? Or who qualifies to be buried? It's only those that are dead. So who qualifies to be saved? Only those that are lost. We cannot be found if we are not lost. We have to all experience this time where we have this great burden of sin upon us, the need of a Savior. It doesn't matter how small it is. We're all going to die. And those of you and those of us and those in the world that are not in this journey and are just stopping in this place here, they're going to get old. They're going to die. That's called the first debt. And then, they're going to because the, uh, the Jesus blood is not written on the corners of their hearts. They are going to suffer the second debt. Uh, unbelievers, it says here, unbelievers become debt, so, or unbelievers second debt in in hell is what it says here in the bottom. Unbelievers. Second death in hell. And we'll t- talk about this later. Um, in Revelation it says, He that had an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said unto the churches. He that overcome it shall not be, be hurt of the second death. And this is the second death. Those of you that believe, those of you that have overcome will not suffer the second death in hell. In Revelations 21, 8, But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, if we experience this death here, And this is what we're talking about today. We look to the cross for redemption. We look to the cross for justification. We look to the cross for atonement, like we heard last week. We are born again. The burden falls off our back. And what happens next? We're not scot-free going to heaven. No, this is where we put ourselves to death. This song Jesus died on the cross, so I don't have to go. That's heresy. We all have to go to death. And this happens by fate, reckoning ourselves dead in baptism, right? Um, this journey here, it, it's, it happens right. The, the realization of this happens different with a lot of people. But the quicker we realize this, the better off we'll be right at the time of looking to Jesus on what he did that should actually be right under the cross, right at that time. We need to find ourselves in a casket, dead to ourselves, looking at Jesus, what he's done, reckoning ourselves dead in baptism. This is what we, what we heard at our last message here. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is free from sin." But if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead died no more. Death had no more dominion over him. Young people, those of you who are getting baptized, you're literally putting yourself in this casket over here. By faith. You're not dead, obviously. You still have the flesh to deal with. But you are reckoning yourself dead. This is what chapter 6 teaches us, that we are, we are baptized unto his death. And we, we're going to talk about this too. Here begins the first debt for the Christian. And this ties into the second debt. Baptism means dead in fleshly works. Now we're going to go back and forth to this picture as we go on here. Today we will dig into Romans chapter 7 and 8. The law cannot help us, accept us to, to bring us to death, to show us how sinful we are and to who we need to look for for salvation. The realization of chapter 7 is essential in order that we do not latch onto the law, but unto Christ Jesus. It is very important to understand that what the law could not do, the Holy Spirit can. While we are not Israelites, we are not Jews, familiar with the law or in bondage to the law. In all of us is a desire to work out our salvation with good works, being a good Hutterite, or saying "Iva praviden, I will try, is what that means in German. This represents the law. It will not be enough. We will fall short. In all of us lives a Pharisee trying to work out one's own salvation with sheer duty and determination. This, we all know, will end up in failure. Now, let's read the entirety of chapter 7. It's a short chapter, it's only 25 verses. But it's very important to understand before we jump into chapter 8. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law had dominion over a man as long as he lived? Paul is speaking to fellow Jews, to fellow Israelites. Who knew the law. For a woman which had an husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lived, but if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth she be married she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress, but if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress though she be married to another man. Now understand this, brethren. The first husband is the law. The second husband is Christ. And you and I are the woman. The only way to escape the law in chapter 7 is to die. Making us free from the law in chapter 7. What is the most obvious thing? What happens to a woman when she marries? She changes her name. She no longer bears her own name, but that of her husband. And she shares not his name only, but his possessions also. Everything that belongs to him belongs now equally to her. All of a sudden, she is amazingly enriched overnight. And so it is when we are joined to Christ. All of his becomes ours And with his infinite resources, we are at at his disposal. Everything that we have is at our disposal. We need never again fear that we shall be unable to meet all of his demands. Because he is our husband, he will take care of it. There's no debt that cannot be paid. There's no power that we are lacking because the king of kings is our husband. And how did we get there? Because our old man, we died and we were loosed from it. This is by faith, brethren. We can only be free from the law of sin in our hearts by dying to ourselves. This is baptism. Baptized unto that death. we we'll continue in verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, and we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of the flesh which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in an oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? It's the law of sin. God forbid. Keep this in mind. Verse 7. It's the law of sin. No, it isn't. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. We see here that the law served a very important purpose to bring to knowledge sin on a person. Verse eight. But sin taking occasion by commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. That is coveting of every kind. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. Verse 10, And the commandment which was ordained to lie found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then, there, was then that which is good made death unto me, God forbid. But sin that it might appear sin, work a debt in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Brethren, these are a lot of words, but we need to understand what this is saying. And if you have trouble understanding them, take a more modern translation and understand what this is saying. It's, it's very important how God transposed us into life by the debt of the first husband which is the law verse 14 for we know that the law is spiritual but i am carnal sold under sin verse 15 for that which i do i allow not for that what for what i would that i do not but what i hate that i do this verse is pointing to verse 18 if then if then i do that which i would not i consent unto the law that it is good Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, is this is our answer. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Amen. That's the end of chapter 7. Uh, watch Mani explains it like this. He did a wonderful job in clarifying this. The trouble with Romans 7 is that a man in the flesh tried to do something for God. As soon as you try to please God in that way, then you place yourself under the law and the experience of Romans 7 begins to be yours. As we seek to understand this, let it be settled at the outset that the fault does not lie with the law. Paul says the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good in verse 12. No, there is nothing wrong with the law. There is something decidedly wrong with me. The demands of the law are righteous. The person upon whom the demands are made is unrighteous. The trouble is not that the law's demands are unjust, but that I am unable to meet them. It may be all right for the government to require a full payment of $200 to me, but it will be all wrong if I only have $13 in which to pay them. The law was not given in the expectation that we would keep it. It was given in the full knowledge that we would break it. And when we have broken it so completely as to be convinced of our other need of our Lord and Savior, then the law has served its purpose. It has been our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that in us he may himself fulfill it. Christ is the only one that can fulfill the law in us. Amen. Now, if Romans ended here, it would indeed be miserable to Christendom. But it is merely preparing and leading to the groundwork of chapter 8. So let's open up our Bibles to chapter 8. The last chapter ended with, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this debt? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, with the flesh, the law of sin. And he said, the greatest facts in history are these, that all our sins are dealt with by the blood, and that we ourselves are dealt with by the cross. Romans 8 brings the climax of the cross. Death and resurrection to a head. Verse 1. There is therefore no, now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, for they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritual minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any of man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If we are not born again, if the spirit does not dwell in us, we are none of his. Here is the carnal man. He's walking here. He is full of carn- carnality. He cares only about serving his flesh. He has not come to the cross. He has not come to the death of himself. This is a man filled with the Spirit. This is a body alive in the Spirit to live after the Spirit. He has been resurrected by fate. His death. His body of sin is lying in the grave, but he himself has risen above it, and he has left his sinful body, his carnal mind, back in the grave. Can you understand that, brethren? It's left back here, and by faith he has been resurrected unto new life. Now it is a journey. It is a journey filled with obstacles, challenges, and trials, and it's an upward journey. It's not downhill. It doesn't get easier. But it's continually from precept to precept, from faith to faith. The Lord is with us. The Lord is, the Spirit of God is in us. We are not walking alone. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. This means that the Spirit does in us that work. Before the law, we had to do the the carrying. We had the burden. We were back here with the law. It was a very heavy cross. But here, if we learn to live in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, if we are abiding in Him, His Holy Spirit is in us. And we'll go into practical terms a little bit later on. And we'll talk about the end of the life for a Christian back here later on. What is walking after the Spirit in practical terms? What does this mean? Watchman Nee said it like this. Living in the Spirit means that I trust the Holy Spirit to do in me what I cannot do myself. This life is completely different from the life I would naturally live of myself. Each time I am faced with a new demand from the Lord, I look to Him to do in me what He requires of me. It is not a case of trying, but of trusting. Not of struggling, but of resting. If I have a hasty temper impure thoughts, a quick tongue, or a critical spirit, I shall look to the Spirit of God to produce in me the needed purity, or the humility, or the meekness, confident that He will do so, that He will answer our prayers. This is what it means to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you. Someone asked me lately, how do I differentiate between the voice of the Spirit or our own intellect? And that's a very good question. I believe the Holy Spirit speaks to us like this. Speaks to us like this. Number one, He speaks to us primarily through His Word. If you want to know what the Spirit says, read the Word of God. It is alive It is filled with his spirit. The teachings are all true. His presence lives within the word and it's lived out through us who are flesh and bones. Number one, I already mentioned the Holy Spirit speaks through his word. Number two, through wisdom. Wisdom is a godly way of reasoning. That is trained and sharpened by what? By the word of God. Wisdom, a godly way of reasoning that is sharpened by the word of God. And I believe also living with the brethren sharpens that as well. Number three, through the whisper of the spirit, which is guided by the word and wisdom. This one we must be very careful about and has a chance to be clouded by intellect and must be in line with the word of God. This one has to also be proved by the brethren. Most cults are started by a lone ranger, so-called Christian, that hears whispers of the spirit that are not in line with scripture, but his own flesh. It needs to be discerned. It needs to be proved to see if it is the word of God. Not the Word of God, but the Holy Spirit speaking through that person. Number four, the Spirit speaks through wonders, prophetic words, miracles, dreams, visions, and the like. These two need to be proved by the Word and the saints of God. And lastly, the Spirit speaks through brothers and sisters around us that discern situations and have biblical and spiritual wisdom or prophetic words for you. All these must be tightly surrounded With the Word of God. No man is above the Word of God. No man, when he says he hears whispers from God, should be different than the Word of God. If they are, that's a false prophet. Let's remember that we have been resurrected from the body of sin to live in the Spirit, to serve God, not anymore in the flesh. The Holy Spirit speaks through one that has been resurrected from the dead, not one that is still living in obedience to their flesh. Amen. Let's continue in verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that has raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. <clears throat> Amen. This is the verse I wrote up here. And if Christ be in you, the body that is in here, that we put ourselves in the grave, if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, if we are born again and if we have a spirit dwelling in us, that same spirit will raise us up out of the grave from the dead and also quicken our mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in us. This is not necessarily something that happens at our resurrection when we die, literally. This is something that happens right here at baptism. Amen. It's a mystery. But once we get it, it just clicks and we understand this principle. Verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are adapters not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Amen. These are just wonderful verses. Verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. A man that knows God, a man that is walking with God, constantly says, Father. Father here, Father there. That's the Samuel Morris story. He always says, Father. And people are getting sick of it around here, unbelievers. He constantly says, Father, because he had known that the Lord Jesus Christ was his Father. He wanted the best for him. He was a constant friend, a constant companion. He loved God. We cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16 The Spirit itself bared witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Verse 17. Now, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of this creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who had subject shall it the same in hope. Verse 21, Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption unto the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creature groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. It is speaking about the times when we shall be rid of our mortal, corruptible bodies, where we will get a new one, where we will be resurrected from the same spirit that resurrected us from this body of sin will resurrect us from the body of death, literally that first death. The same spirit that lives in us, the same spirit cannot die when we die. It will resurrect us again into life. And we groan. For that to to appear, for these days to appear. Can you imagine these promises on uh, our forefathers when they were led to their death? Just just, uh, living these verses. Living and dying these verses. These promises. And here we are in this 21st century with our little problems. Brethren, I think we need to just... Meditate on these verses. We have this hope. We look for this redemption. We know that we will die. We know we will all end up right here. But our hope is beyond this. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope is what we have reckoned for, that we are alive unto Christ. This is a hope. It's a fate. It's real. Verse 26, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself make an intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. 27, and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he make an intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That's, I heard a story here about... Uh, how the Holy Spirit works these things out practically in our lives. Let's say you have been asked to go see a contentious friend. And you know the friend is at times not very friendly, and he was known to excite you into a very frustrating, angry mess every time you had dealings with him. Before you set out, you prayed earnestly to the Lord that in yourself you, you would, could, but not, but fail and you asked the lord for all that was needed to sustain you with the prayer uttered you went in faith then to your surprise you did not feel at all irritated though your friend was far from gracious on your return you thought over the experience and marvelled that you had kept so calm and wondered and you wondered if you would be just as calm next time you were amazed at yourself and sought an explanation for what happened this is the explanation put this into your life the holy spirit carried you through this brethren should be our explanation constantly not only once in a while when the holy spirit takes things in hand there is no need for strain on our part it is not a case of clenching our teeth and taking a grip on ourselves and thinking that thus we have controlled ourselves beautifully and have had a gracious victory no Where there is a real victory, it is not fleshly effort that carries us through, but the Lord. Amen. How many of us have stories to acclaim to that, similar stories? If we are walking in the Spirit, we would have these stories every day. I have a story here that illustrates how Satan tempts us to go with our own strength. During the first three months of the Japanese war in China... In 1937, China lost a great many tanks and so were unable to deal with the superior Japanese armor tanks until the following scheme was devised. A single shot would be fired at the Japanese tank by one of the Chinese snipers hidden in the underbrush. After considerably time elapsed of time, the first shot would be followed by a second, then after a while, by the third shot until the tank driver, eagerly eager to locate the source of the disturbance, would pop his head out to look around. The next shot, carefully aimed, would put an end to him. Now this, is a, this has an object lesson. in this story. As long as he remained undercover, he was perfectly safe. The whole scheme was devised to bring him out into the open. In just the same way, Satan's temptations are not designed primarily to make us do something particularly sinful, but merely to cause us to act in our own energy. And as soon as we step out of our hiding place to do something on that basis, he has gained the victory over us. But if we do not move, if we do not come out of the cover of Christ into the realm of the flesh, then he cannot get us. We have to come out then He will get us. It's not a matter if, it's a matter of when. In closing, let's look at these precious promises as we finish this beautiful chapter and claim them as our own in verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to His purpose. Precious promise. Just, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. We cannot claim that verse as our own unless we are walking in the spirit, unless we are abiding in him. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestine to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestine, them he also called and whom he called, them he also justified and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall we not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. it. Who is he that condemned? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also make an intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Hallelujah. In conclusion, I want to point out again on a wall chart, we see a grave in the end representing death of the saints. That saint has nothing to fear. While he remained alive at baptism, his death has already been started in the flesh by faith in reckoning at the cross. If the saint has been given over to following Christ and the voice of the Holy Spirit, he or she has no fear of the literal grave, whenever that might happen. I pray that this would all be our experience. Amen.